Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? Turbo Team Podcast. It's like you're me, host. Uh, Jake Brent. <laughs> I'm freaking pumped. We watched Trial of the Chicago 7, and it's freaking good. That's Just all super I'm psyched. Super amped up for a very depressing story. That's my review. I'm I'm your host, uh, Jake Brent. Some call me Ryan Gosling. I don't really care at this point. I answer to both. With me today, for the last time and for a few months, Alex Powell. Up, in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, this <laughs> might be our last Skype episode for a while. Uh, I thought you meant you were going to kill him there for a second. <laughs> Wait, no, please. <laughs> no, no spoilers. Uh, how are you doing, <laughs> Alex? Doing pretty well, Jake. How about you? Oh, man, I'm just I'm just thriving, brother. You're, you're, you're peachy keen. Oh, I'm peachy keen. I uh, can't that's the first thing you said on this podcast, and we still let you back afterwards. I said Peachy Kane. That was the first yeah, thing I said. Your first, uh, your first episode three, Jake was like, how you doing, Ben? You're like, I'm Peachy King. And then <laughs> I was like, Ben, what was that? And then, <laughs> here and you, then you invited me back <laughs> for a concurrent 20 plus episodes. Hey, the, uh, I think 30 was last week or two weeks ago. We took last week off, didn't we? This is 30 I wasn't in all of them. So, uh, Ben, how's it going? <laughs> you already asked me that. And... <laughs> No, nothing special. Just, just, <laughs> okay. Just got out of the just got out of the kitchen making some beats. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't oh, know. Damn. But we'll Fire figure it out. Shower. Shower. Uh, <laughs> Smoking green could cauliflower. <laughs> so as I said, we watched the trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, it's a Netflix original that's gonna be definitely talked about during Oscar season. It's directed and written by Aaron Sorkin who wrote The Social Network, Moneyball, A Few Good Men, just to name a few. This was his second uh, directorial uh, release. He also it's, did Molly's Game. Yeah, Molly's Game. It's got a rock star cast with Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Jeremy Strong, Mark Rylance, and then a little cameo from Michael Keaton. John Carroll Lynch is also in it. Yaya Abdelteen. It like and that's just not even like scratching the surface. Surface, this movie has it all. It's uh, it's a social justice movie, but it's also like a historical court movie. We'll let Ben get into it in the synopsis, but uh, if you like any sort of history, this movie will be fascinating to you. And if you haven't already seen it, stop what you're doing and take the two hours and ten minutes to watch it because it is. Uh, it goes by fast. It didn't feel like two hours. It was Save so it's very engaging. It's really freaking good. Yeah. So, Ben, want to take us through the synopsis? Yeah, so I can keep talking. Oh, boy, do I. All right. The film is based on the infamous, infamous 1969 trial of seven defendants charged by the federal government with conspiracy and more. Arising from the countercultural protests in Chicago at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. The trial transfixed the nation and sparked a conversation about mayhem intended to undermine the U.S. government. And just so you know, the seven, uh, for future reference for the rest of this episode, the seven defendants were Abby Hoffman, Tom Hayden, Renee Davis, 
Jerry Rubin, David Dillinger, Lee Weiner, John Freunds, and Bobby Seale, an eighth defendant who was later declared, who his case was declared a mistrial. Because there's lots of names in this movie. Um, so starting off, I'm gonna actually start off with the negative real quick. Uh, well, I thought there's, I thought there's too many na- names. I had trouble keeping up. It was a lot like I think, I think I said this either about Zodiac or um, what was that one with? Uh, we gotta get the, we gotta nail these scumbags. What was that movie? Uh, Spotlight. Uh, I, I, sp- I said that I said the same thing about one of those two movies. I, Avengers I, I one. What it was, but there's just too many. Yeah, Avengers. Uh, there's just too many names to memorize, which is like it's a realistic case, so they can't give off every detail. But I thought there's just like too many names. You know, I don't know if you guys had trouble, but I got confused. But that's how I felt at first. But I was like insanely engaged in this movie. We're like after about 45, 50 minutes. I mean, outside of, like, maybe a few of the, I don't know, throwaway reference characters, like, I was pretty good at uh, recognizing the name of who they were. Well, like, eventually you got down to, like, all right, here's the guys you got to know. You got to know Jerry Rubin. You got to know uh, Abby Hoffman. You got to know, uh, uh, Tom, was it, Tom Hayden? Tom and, Hayden. Yeah, so, like, those are the, honestly, those are the only three guys sure. you know. Yeah. Huh? David Dellinger. David Dellinger. Like, that's it. Like, nothing. no one else was really that important. Yeah. Well, at least they didn't play that big of a role. I so, think that you were right, that there was a lot of names, but the film demands your attention in the first place. So yeah. once you start being transfixed with it, you're, along with those repetitive names, along with the quick nature of the entire movie, you really get caught up and demands your attention. Okay, so let's get let's get into it. What are some of your positives, Jake? I know you really love this movie, Gosh. so why don't you, uh, you go first? <laughs> I'm just gonna start out with the intro. The mm-hmm. cutting back from setting the tone of the sixties, the Vietnam War, the case itself, the protests at the DNC, and then with all of that, introducing all of the main characters of the seven defendants was done perfectly, I thought. So the it I don't remember the exact order, but it cuts from uh, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin at the Yippie convention, uh, the Yippie rally. And it shows like their like careless type hippie attitude, but also like the passion. And then it cuts back to Tom Hayden and I can't remember the other kid's name, but they're at this like more. Brent Davis. Yeah, yeah, they're at this more professional type school, um, trying to raise awareness to people that uh, may not care as much as the Yippies. And then it also goes back to David Dellinger, kind of the head orchestrator of it all behind the scenes. He he said he's planned out 100 protests in his life. And it, it just shows all the dynamics behind what you're about to see. And I didn't grasp it the first time I watched it. And I was saying pre-show, when I finished the movie, like all I did, I I texted like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. But then I went back and rewatched the first 30 minutes because I felt like it moved so fast that I wasn't even able to comprehend what was going on at first. But when you know like just everything about the trial, you just want to rewatch this movie. So I think just the fact that it makes this movie so enjoyable, despite the fact that it's under such dire circumstances is insanely impressive. And that's just scratching the surface on what I like. On top of that, this dialogue is very Aaron Sorkin. Uh, he's well known for 
writing some of the best movies and a lot of that is based off the dialogue like the social network say what you want about it uh the dialogue in that movie is really what sets it apart from a lot of mid or early 2010s movies (laughs) from a lot of mid movies yeah from a lot of mid movies but the dialogue in this movie is so crisp i don't think there's really a word that is pointless spoken throughout the movie like every single line every single line delivery is perfect to me i thought it was so good i'll stop uh romanticizing about the movie and let someone else talk i thought you hit it on the head with you were saying aaron sorkin's writing on this movie was phenomenal like it, it was so realistic you know and the 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 dialogues between the characters were realistic the situations were realistic obviously he had a true story to base it off of but just because you're working off a true story doesn't mean you have to write realistic dialogue dialogue like that you know so it just it felt like we were watching the actual trial you know compared to some movie version of it you know i thought the go ahead it wasn't a dramatic court case like obviously in the theatrical sense they had to make it somewhat dramatic but it wasn't like overly dramatic to the point where like you had to be a lawyer to understand what was going on. But it also didn't dumb it down to the point where uh, some of our own survivors of the program wouldn't be able to understand it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I agree with that. It, they made Sorkin did a really good job of like this movie could have been so much more dramatic and so much more like depressing. And he, I felt very lighthearted in a sense, you know, like, mm. Yeah, it got deep. Yeah, the issues it tackled were important and, you know, kind of, you know, hot button issues. But, like, it, it never felt like it – like, I, when I was watching it, I never felt, like, sad and, like, you know, just, like, depressed or whatever watching it. It didn't make me sad. It made me – like, I always, like, felt engaged the whole time, you know, compared to some movies where, like, they're going – they're basing this off true depressing material. Like, it, it could easily just go – to the point where you're like, I don't want to watch this. Like, it's hard to watch, you know. And I felt this wasn't hard to watch at all. I felt it was engaging. I def- I'm definitely going to watch it again. I thought I'm definitely going to recommend it to everyone. Like, it was a really good movie. Um, if, so go ahead. I was going to say, if I didn't start it at 10.30 last night, I probably would have watched it just two times in a row. Yeah. Like, that's how wow, much I really. Yeah. So, two hours, bro. Are you sure about that? Yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jake, you said... Um, it's going to get a lot of Oscar buzz, and like I, I think it should. But here's the thing: this came out in September. It came out September 25th, and I hadn't heard about it until like Ben suggested watching it this week. So I don't know if people have seen it, honestly. Uh, Nate Magic actually recommended it to me like three or four weeks ago. Really? And I just didn't get around to it until wow. Ben brought it up. We got but, so many requests here at the Turbo Team podcast. But I think that so with the new oscar requirements this can maybe be a part of our later discussion but with the new oscar requirements i I don't know the exact um requirements off the top of my head but it's something where it has to be so many people of color either in production or on the studio to be able to get a nomination which i think this really yeah uh but it's something it's such a small number that like you have to try to not get it okay uh it's also especially just in recent years with the voters, they like to focus on something that makes an actual like impact. And that's why a movie like La La Land, although perfect didn't win best picture because it was kind of more of just like a, so what story? Yes. But shape of shape of water really gave a good social message. What 
what this movie does and what's Depends so what you see the fish as. This, don't have it, sex with fish people come on it's bestiality it's a felony reproduction in this movie started in 2013 which was like a year and a half before ferguson even happened really so and it was actually even more impressive 2007 uh steven spielberg wanted to do it and he just didn't get around to it so uh, they started pre-production and started making this and started writing this movie in like 2013, 2014, which was before any of the Black Lives Matter movement, any of the Ferguson or anything that happened after that. So the fact that like it just so happened to be released this year, I think will make it a very strong push for big picture just because it's so culturally relevant to what's going on in America right now. Steven Spielberg would have botched this movie. I'm saying I'm calling oh, it right yeah. he's, he's, <laughs> I'm getting so Spielberg... Go off topic a little bit. Spielberg obviously has had some big things like Jurassic Park, Jaws, whatever. He's had big names. I am not. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I just don't think he's that good of a director. I'll say it. I'll just. I. I don't. I don't care for Steven Spielberg movies. Way, way. You're. You're telling me the director of Hugo isn't good enough for you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a different discussion for a different. All right. Podcast. Anyway. Um. I Most really overrated love. Sasha, I really love Sasha Baron Cohen in this movie. I thought he had a great performance. The we'll get into this with our favorite scenes, but him on trial or not him him on trial him on the witness stand was incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. is that your favorite Just, scene? We'll see. Okay, Just, <laughs> I gotta think of a different one. So um, you've been awfully quiet. What did you like? Yeah, Ben. Ah, you're putting me on the spot. We, we uh, no. So where we talk about stuff. You should already have this on. <laughs> No, this movie's amazing. Like, uh, I remembered seeing ads for it or little clips coming up on Netflix for like the longest time since it came out, and I was like, "Oh, that looks interesting. I'll get around to that eventually." But then I saw that it was done by Aaron Sorkin, and then I was like, "Okay, we need to do this this week because I am a big Aaron Sorkin fan. In my personal opinion, he does not miss." And I think that's definitely evident here with this film where the dialogue is all very uh, quick, quick witted. Um, a lot of the jokes, for example, like they're all very natural. They're all very realistic. And they all yet, hit. <laughs> yeah, they all hit because yeah. like they're all like realistic reactions, realistic setups. Like my favorite one was when a, Jerry and Abby were walking into the courtroom and someone tried to throw an egg at him and he just caught it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was like, how'd you do that? I was like, I don't know. A, <laughs> a reflex. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a, <laughs> he tries to give the egg to the lawyers. Like, what do you, you got an egg? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. You don't know what to do with it. Do you? No, I don't <laughs> get rid of it. You don't think I do. <laughs> it was just like things like that, that really paid off. <laughs> in this film especially with those two more lighthearted characters but even i don't know so, <sighs> so this is my third sorkin film I, I might have seen another one i've seen moneyball social network and now this and one thing about aaron sorkin that i can tell is he knows absolutely how to get the most out of his characters oh yeah yeah like yeah, like well, jonah yeah. hill and brad pitt and moneyball were fantastic jonah hill was a comedic actor until that performance <laughs> Like he and then he killed it. God, it's me. Yeah. It's me, Jonah Hill from Moneyball. <laughs> uh, 
social network, like Andrew Garfield wasn't really a comedic actor, but he wasn't really taken seriously as an actor, I don't think. And then he had a kid kill the performance. Obviously, Jesse Eisenberg was a pretty well-established name at that point, too. And in this one, Eddie Redmayne, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Sasha Baron Cohen all were established actors. But Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, that's not a serious actor. That's Borat. You know, that's what people know him as. And I, he, his performance was amazing, even if it did have comedic elements. Joseph Gordon-Levitt gave a really good performance. And Eddie Redmayne... I hated his character, and that's why he had a good – You hated his character. I hated his character. Why? In my, in my notes, I had Eddie Redmayne's character is a dork. And in the words of Matthew <laughs> McConaughey, in the words of Matthew McConaughey, I don't mind nerds, but I hate dorks. And Eddie Redmayne's <laughs> character was a straight dork, you know? Why? Because why? he was trying to – <laughs> just trying to radicalize the elections <laughs> that's the thing he's like he comes around in the end and in the end he's like the big hero that makes the stand but it's like yeah but he's a shitty person the whole movie up until this point like <laughs> these guys were trying to do so much. even his best friend was trying to do all the go along with everyone else and he's just like fighting back so hard he's like sees himself as like the natural leader of these guys it's like chill out dude like he doesn't see himself as the natural leader he's just He's trying to accomplish it in a different way than everyone else says. He clearly wants to be a politician. He's going with the lawyers to interview all these people. He went with the lawyers to go talk to uh, Ramsey Clark, uh, Michael Keaton's character. Like he's going around. Like he, he clearly sees himself as a leader. It's like no, even. I honestly, I honestly think they just threw him in there just so they could have a defendant to talk at. Because like he went along to go see Bobby in prison for some reason. Yeah, yeah, like and that was just for him to get roasted and then he left. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, why is he you're not the leader, dude. Let the I, lawyers I think that was just more plot driven than character driven. So, I don't know. I thought his character talk was a about, player, but he had a good performance. Talk about Tom Hayden actually leads into like the next part I liked about this was it humanized the obvious protagonists which were the Chicago seven. Like, mm-hmm. I think in a movie like this, it's so easily to just make them 100% the victims and think, oh, all they're doing is fighting for good, fighting for justice. But you see in the scene uh, back at, uh, gosh, what was the what was the hotline called? Uh, it was like, uh, what'd you say, man? I said bling. bling. Yeah. No, it was like uh, it was like hotline bling. It was like a theory. I can't remember what it was, but the one at the house. Yeah, yeah. back at their house, and Abby Hoffman and Tom Hayden were arguing. You see that they're both like wrong. Like Tom Hayden, they both want personal gain out of this, even though they're still fighting for the right cause. And I think in a movie like this, it's so easy to just make them like a team like the Avengers where they're like (laughs) just like all working together for one cause and they're all awesome and they're all protagonists. But especially in that scene, you realize like especially Tom Hayden, like he's just a prick. Like all he wants to do is get political and uh, personal gain out of this while also staying out of jail. I think, I think it's so much more relatable. I think I think Tom Hayden's big thing is he wanted to be a politician. He was a student at this time, so he yeah. wanted to be a politician as a career. Obviously, he did become one eventually once he got out of prison. He was one for years, and I think that's what he wanted. Is he wanted like to use his chances of for like he's on the public eye, the world is watching, and he's like, this is how I establish my political career right here, and that's what he's doing the game out of compared to Abby Hoffman, who I think just liked the attention, you know, and he I think he's I think he was a very people centric person i just think he loved yeah. telling jokes to everyone and making people laugh but he was also like passionate about the subject about you know stopping the war and he's like well this is how i use it and you know people listen to a lot of his voices so 
Yeah, so that's that's one of the parts I liked about this was that was an element that didn't need to be taken in the movie. Just because there's so much going on in this where you could have easily just ignored that part. But I thought the tension between the protagonists was essential, and I think it just brought the movie to a whole nother level. I think... Uh... I also didn't care for how much he underestimated Abby uh, Tom Hayden. I didn't care for how much he underestimated Abby Hoffman. I didn't like the whole attitude that he always thought he was like the smartest guy in the room. Just another, it was just another nitpick I had with his, with I guess with a guy. Like I can say just the character, but, like this is I, I could say the character, but this was a real dude. Like all these people were real, so I just don't. If Tom Hayden's listening, man, I didn't like you around this time period. I'll be honest. <laughs> this is a movie chill out dude well it's not a movie it's a real case okay real shut movie. up based on a real story <laughs> yeah, it is a real story like it's a real yeah people. you said exactly that. i don't like his character i assume it's i don't like it's still a person. movie this is fictionalized dude <laughs> no it's not yes it is it's a movie ben about a yeah. real case this really happened. yeah that's fictionalized all of it's dramatized oh my god because it's still a, movie. a real person these are still real things that happen yeah so, so. can we talk about bobby Steele? <laughs> Maybe just a couple minutes. Oh, yeah, for sure. That portion of it. Oh, you, that was hard to watch. The, uh, the them gagging him in the middle of court. Yeah. That was really hard to watch. I so, couldn't. It was just struggle. So yeah. that scene I, I have written down specifically. The natural pop sounds and the the natural sound effects in that scene where he was uh, word for word taken to a room to be dealt with accordingly. Yeah. It was just freaking brutal. It was, and uh, I thought that was really the part of the movie that just kind of hooked me and was, was like the sound design in that scene, the sound design in that scene and just kind of the scene and the premise of it itself. Just the fact that it was so relatable and comparable to today. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I, uh, that's why this this movie was very timely and I. I think it was a good time for it to come out compared to what 2012 you said it was originally. 2013, was. but yeah. Well, uh, the Spielberg one probably would have come out in like 2010. No, but, but yeah, this movie left like an impact on me as far as the fight for social justice goes and um, just everything in that. And really, other than Bobby Seale's character, it wasn't really a race-based movie, mm. which I think makes it even more impressive that one character left that much of an impact on it. I also liked how... Especially since he was out by the midway point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you, I texted you guys. I think I texted, I texted Jake. This movie, this movie really fired me up at points. Like, I was, like, trying not to yell at the TV. I was, like, really engaged. I started that, doing push-ups when they all scene, started clapping. <laughs> that scene especially fired me up. Where I just, like, felt this rage. It just made me really angry to watch. I was like, I had to be like, this is a movie... Calm down, but it was just, it really ticked me off watching it. And I guess good job, Aaron Sorkin, because I was pissed. Oh, yeah, but but mainly, like, it's disgusting that that happened, even if it was 80 years ago. Or not, it had been 60 years ago now. But it's it was, it's really disgusting. That's the point that we were at. The, they had to gag and bound. Uh, it's uh, movies defended on trial. where you're like, wow, this is real. Like, this, and what's even more disgusting about it was they made that PG compared to what it actually was. Bobby Seal was bound and gagged for four days in the actual trial. Jesus Christ. Four freaking days. 
It's disgusting. The movie makes it seem like it was five minutes, and I completely understand why they did because it still got the point across. Mm-hmm. Ooh, but when uh, when uh, when Tom was the only one who stood. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even Dude, that was right after that happened too. I hate that. I hate Tom Hayden, man. I hate. Him. <laughs> he has no redeeming qualities. He's a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This movie. It left a very, very big impact in a, and I think only a good way. Like, I think it overall made me like disgusted and whatever, but I also think it was also super inspiring just how it really is. Honestly. Yeah. It wasn't like there was nothing that felt like you should stand up and cheer. But at the end of the movie, I still wanted to stand up and cheer. Like it was one of those types of movies, and I don't know what if it was if it came down to the writing, if it came down to the actual story itself, but there's something about it, and I think my my hypothesis is it really does derive from mainly Abby Hoffman's character, just because I think he has such a character arc in it from at the beginning, like not you catching think- the egg, but he's he's that type of just gag <laughs> character. Mm-hmm. And or he's a character almost. Yeah, he's he's just a character. Like he's a funny hippie. But then by the end of the movie, like that person that is on the witness stand is a very very different human being. Well, he was more intelligent than he let off. You know. Oh yeah, he, absolutely. He's a very smart guy. He just he didn't like. He kind of reminded me of much like uh, like a friend of the program, Jacob Lepper, in a way. Like Lepper's one of the smartest people <laughs> I've ever met, but you wouldn't know by just talking to him because uh, he, he doesn't like give off that vibe. He's just a fun guy, you know. But these uh, Abby Hoffman was like almost a genius in a way. The way he like understood English and like how people worked and communicated. Yeah, exactly. The the scene where uh they were playing back Tom Hayden's tape where he's like, "If our blood flows, uh, he, he said, if the blood city. flows." Yeah. And he saw it and he's like, wait, I've read all your papers and I know that like you use progressive pronouns, which would imply that it's if our blood flows, not if their blood flows. Yeah. And like, that's just that's not something a normal person sees. And I don't know if he was actually that smart in real life. I'm sure he was if it made the movie and that might have been dramatized for the movie. But nonetheless, uh, that. Like that was just awesome for me. They, and it, they said he wrote a they said he wrote a book at the end sorry. of it that was very high regarded. Very yeah, it was called Steal This Book, and he said they don't know how many copies were uh, written or like how many copies were developed because everyone just kept stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's an effective strategy. <laughs> but that's such a like based on his character in the movie that seems like such a Abby Hoffman thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Man, they're. Like I could just go on and on about this movie. It That's is, so Abby. It's okay. What so, we hadn't, what we haven't talked about is the uh, former attorney general and the judge, the um, the antagonist of the movie. Oh man, I wanted to punch that dude in the face. The judge, <laughs> Holy cow! How can you? What did you say, Jake? The judge or the former attorney general? The judge. Yeah, I agree. How can you be that awful of a person? I don't know how they didn't call it a mistrial. He clearly was biased in the whole situation. Yeah. Well, you can't call it a mistrial. The judge is like the highest. He's like the highest person in power. Like there's no one overseeing the judge at the time of that trial. 
They can. There's a higher up they can take it to, but I think it was it's just overturned a, afterwards. But for the set of that trial, they never got a retrial though. Well, yeah, they didn't get a retrial because the attorney general, the dick one they showed at the beginning, denied them that chance. Uh, his name was Mitchell. Was John it? Mitchell. John Mitchell. Yeah. I remember that because I thought they said John Mitchum at first, so I rewinded, but it was John Mitchell. <laughs> John That's Mitchum that. was our was Ben and I's old pastor. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> That's the uh, yeah. That's the thing about it. It's like I think the court system's come a long way since then, but just how corrupt it was. Like they like they went into this trial clearly trying to like when in the opening scene it was the second opening scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like they were saying like it, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt was like expressing like things. He's like this might be a hard case to win. And they're like we're paying you to win it, so you better win it. You know. So uh, like, what did like, they do wrong? Is like we're not asking you that question. Yeah. Nerd. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they, it's just a, such a corrupt system, and they clearly picked a corrupt judge that they knew would help them with the case. It was clearly biased, and I was just, it was so frustrating, you know. And especially like when when he was denying like all these like you know evidences or cross examinations or whatever, and he was like, uh, the lawyer was lawyer's name William Kunstler, and then Kunstler's like trying to explain it, and then he's like sh- like telling him like to stop talking or whatever, and he wasn't like raising his voice. I'm like I it got me because I. I have a lack of uh, patience when it comes to incompetence with people, and so I, if I was in that situation, I'd just be, I would, uh, they'd probably have to take me out of court. I would just be yelling at everybody. So I, they had more power than I do. That's why I can't be a lawyer. It's just me or is it getting stranger out there. <laughs> uh, I sympathize so much with the defendants in this movie, more so than like any other film I've ever seen. Yeah. Like I don't ever really condone violence that often especially <laughs> that, <in> often. Like, <laughs> that are based off of a true story but when david dillinger was up and <laughs> screaming at the judge like i wanted to be up there screaming with him it pissed he, me off so much he leveled that court martial man he, yeah that was that awesome. zodiac he killed him put one in his jaw and then the dragon wings <laughs> like i'm sorry and the guy's like you just punched me dude like what <laughs> Yeah, Dude, that, and like when, like when the person standing in front of his family moved away, and he saw his kid watching. <laughs> yeah, the that scene got me because you could see how passionate and how angry he was in the moment, and then how much regret he had immediately yeah. after. It, like, I really, I really I, felt for him. I felt like everything the victims were feeling while watching this, and that is not that common of a thing for me in like in filmmaking. It's yeah, reminded when it comes to being in court. I've where only it's extremely seen... empathetic in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same uh, as the victims when DJK got kicked off the Iowa football team for having a DUI. <laughs> I felt that same way when uh, Vin Diesel had to say goodbye to CGI Paul Walker in Fast Seven. It wasn't CGI; it was his twin brother. I don't care. <laughs> Friend of the program, Isaac Dyke, call back. Actually, I think we cut that part from the uh, actual episode, but yeah, that was so bad. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, anything else you guys got to say? Obviously, I think we could go Screw on for another half judge. hour. Screw that judge. He was. I hate. Oh, yeah. I mean, shout out to Frank Lagella. He played it, played it really well. But like, that's the one thing I have trouble with in movies is like separating the actors from the character. Like, I that's hated like- that judge. That's like the personification of uh, of just like an old crotchety person who's who looks down on any new way of thinking just because it's different. See, the problem it's, with that, though, it's is there so still- traditional that it's 
Yeah. There's still judges like that around today where mm-hmm. they just like they've been in the court for 50 years. You know, they've been a judge for, you know, 20 of those years. And so they just think like they're the hottest shit around just because How like Mitch oh, McConnell I, keep getting reelected. I don't know. He looks like <laughs> he's I don't know, who knows. He's not a judge, though. He's a senator, I think. Yeah, I yeah, count that. Kentucky. But but they just think they have all this like power just because they have so much like just because you've been a fucking in Paul or in in law for 50 years doesn't mean you're good at it. It just means you were able to stick around, you know, and like you just knew the right people, said the right things a couple times. And here you are 50 years later at a huge position in our judicial in our court system. And if you have any bias towards whatsoever, don't take the case. You know, it's not fair to the defendant. It's not fair to either party. But that's the negative side to these biased judges is they're not going to take a case just because, like, they have conflicting views. Like, if anything, they're going to take that case faster than anything. Because, like, Maybe here's how I can, was conflicted. Yeah, here's is like, here's how I can put my views on, you know, the rest of this, make this country a better, the country I want it to be, you know. And it's such a shitty system. But Judge Hoffman was so unlike any other movie villain just because you got no backstory onto why he was so prejudiced and why he had so much hate. And it almost reminds me of Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. Like Nurse Ratchet, you never get any single redeeming qualities about her. Like even some of the best movie villains of all time, uh what's her face from Gone Girl and uh <laughs> the Joker. <laughs> Great, greatest villain of all time. <laughs> what's her face? Uh, Darth Vader, just like all these villains, you have like at least reasons for being a horrible person. Even if you don't agree with them, like there's a cause for it. And this, you just get thrown in. You're like, yeah, this judge sucks. Like he's horrible. And, and va- he go ahead. And uh, in Darth Vader's defense, if you talk about just the original three movies, if the, when those were the only ones out, like we we that's didn't know who Darth Vader was. So I was uh, I would I would find him under that, you know. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, he was just such an awful character, and like you said, he had no redeeming qualities. There was no moment in this movie where we saw even a bit of just like humanity in him. Like he was so negative, he never let the defendants like even plead their case. If they had a good evidence, he didn't let them use it. When when they were interviewing uh, Ramsey Clark, he kicked the whole jury out. You know, yeah. those two those two uh, jurors six and eleven. They were like clearly on the side of the defendants, and the court and the government did something about it. You know, they threatened, they put a threat. Obviously, those weren't confirmed, but like, what are the odds the two jurors that visibly were on the side of the defendants were both received an anonymous threat from the Black Panthers, who literally are on trial right now? Like, what? Yeah. Uh, the Black Panthers are on trial, but one of the members are. I should. Like uh, the way he like baited her into purposefully getting kicked off of the jury. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's so shitty and so corrupt. And I, I honestly, mean, I think if, if there are any neg, spoiler, if there are any negatives in this movie, I think it's that honestly, like a little just too cartoonishly evil. Well, ben, this or is just just dis- man. What I was this- talking, I was talking to my professor, and he said that they didn't make the judge evil enough. Like he was even more psychotic in the real case. That's what I'm telling really? you, man. It's like, you're like, yeah. yeah, they made it dramatic. Like, no, man, I don't think there was a whole lot of dra- dramatized in this movie. Like, these were terrible people. Yeah, and that's what I think makes it so fascinating, just as from, like, a historical perspective. The fact that there was a trial this corrupt and biased towards someone, in obviously a historical case, every camera in the country was on this case and was on even the riots in Chicago. 
Yeah. So the fact that something on that big of a scale was so corrupt with the whole country watching is, I think, just speaks so far to what the judicial judicial system can be. Like this was it can be. This was the '60s, and like the, the the people against the Vietnam War, I would argue, were the minority. Whether people that were for the Vietnam War or whatever said say differently. Like like today's Republicans always feel like they're in the minority just because there's a ton of liberal media out there. Well, not, you're not necessarily in the minority. You're just talked about a little less in a positive light, you know. But yeah. these people were in the minority. Like the majority of the government was pro-war, very right-wing, very traditional. A majority of the big leaders in the country are very traditional. So yeah, these people did have protesting did have like they didn't have the upper hand you know they were definitely uh what, what's the word uh what's the word what's the word what's, what, what's well, the I mean, word? they were looked down word? at you know like like <laughs> so going into court like seven people going into court and saying like they have they had a very slim chance of winning is like very realistic in the 60s because like there were there were so many people that are not necessarily like corrupt maybe but like they just had such strong ideas and they were like such, were such traditionalist strong, views such tra- tra- traditionalist views such strong beliefs and like they had the, they they knew they had the power to you know sway any case their way if they wanted to and i think that's we see exactly what it was like here in the 60s and that's just for a trial of seven white dudes obviously the only black man's trial is a you know mistrial but like we, we talk about like uh you know the uh racial injustice today the movements in the black lives matter movement like that was a serious problem for them it was an even worse problem back then you know because it wasn't such out in the light so you gotta yeah. take into account like these were seven white people that were treated like this. Imagine if it was seven black people. Holy cow, man. I mean, um, they were Bobby even said that they like threw him in. He wasn't even there. They just threw him in the group to make him look more scary. Exactly. Yes. And he was a black Panther. And they're like, these guys are the villains. You know, come on. Like, I wasn't even there. They just threw me in. Yeah, he was in Chicago for four hours that day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's insane. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievably, corrupt and the fact that it's not a i mean obviously yes it's a fiction movie but the fact that it is 99 95 percent based off of a true story is just disgusting so before we get into the very little negatives we have i want to do a, a short segment and it's literally just a question if you guys were our current age like 19 20 years old in 1960 during the protest of the vietnam war do you think you would participate in the protest of the vietnam war well, what's the difference, participating in the protests or actually or, going into the or Vietnam participating War? in the protests. I don't think I would participate in the protests, but I would be against the war. You got to take it in mind, like, like we're we have so much we have so much just access think- to information now, just because everyone has a camera attached like in their yeah. pocket that they can record stuff. Like, like anti anti Vietnam War stuff was not over the news. Like, you had to read about it, you had to talk to people over there. Like, and when you did see it, of- it was. And when you did see it, it was looked down upon. It was propagandized, too. Like, because people didn't know, like, how bad or how pointless that war actually was. That's what, That's why a lot of these kids are just, like, like all these hippies, you know, they'd be, like, so anti-government. Because a, a lot of the people that are anti-war were more anti-government in a way, you know. Not necessarily because everything they were seeing was, they're like, oh, my God, like, this is terrifying. Like, they were seeing that stuff, but, like, they were just against the establishment more than the, I, the war, I feel like. Obviously, none of us were alive in the 60s, so I can't speak for the people then, but just from what I gathered from history class and reading and talking and listening to people. But So so do you think you would participate in the demonstrations against the war? I can't even speak to that. I mean, honestly, it's a little bit of 
different circumstances. But this past summer, we had a very similar situation, honestly. Mm. I mean, obviously, excluding coronavirus, I guess. If it wasn't for COVID, I think I would have participated this summer. Um, I I was I didn't want COVID, so I didn't no. I didn't go. But um, but if, if you asked me back then, I genuinely don't think I would, just because there wasn't as much access to information about what's going on around the world as That's there is now. So I don't think I would have been educated enough on the subject to go into it. I would have to be uh, yeah. I don't think I would have participated just because you know i didn't i didn't i don't think there's that much access to just normal people so i i was very curious what you guys want you don't have to answer if you don't want to it's kind of a deep question but it's kind of hypothetical it's a completely different environment than Mm -hmm. it is today than what it is then one uh, like you said the information but just the environment you're in not to mention that like you have a lack of information a lot of that information comes from your immediate family your immediate community Mm-hmm. And back then, you got to think about we're living in Iowa. That wouldn't be a very prevalent. Well, 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 well hold on, hold on. One of the most popularized protests of the Vietnam War ever happened at Roosevelt High School. <laughs> that makes sense, actually. Yeah, the 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 students were the black bands that were kicked out. What was the case oh, called? Yeah. Uh, gosh dang, I talked about this in my gender United race States class versus Roosevelt class last week. Um, gosh, are you looking it up? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking up buzzwords for it, though. <laughs> I'm just looking up BuzzFeed quizzes. Uh, <laughs> uh it was Tinkerverse. Yeah, Tinkerverse, Tinker. state of Iowa. Tinker, uh, Tinkerverse, Des Moines. Oh, Des Moines. Yep. And what? It was, it was, um, that was a uh, case. Is a what? It ended up going to the Supreme Court. Yes, yes. So yeah, over what, though? Like, what was the charge? Was it, like, wearing... To incite violence? Wearing anti... Yeah, well, I think they classified her as a Black Panther for being anti-Vietnam War. I, th- I thought she was a white gal, though. I thought they were white kids. I don't know. I don't really remember. I'm not that educated about it. Yeah, they were they were white students. Okay. Yeah, there are two yeah, of them. They were students. black. They were black bands with peace signs on them, and they were charged with charges. Probably conspiracy. Black clothing. Um, uh, majority ruled that neither students nor teachers shed their constitutional right of, to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Court took the position that the school's officials could not prohibit only the suspicion that the speech may disrupt the learning. Um, I don't know what they're. I think they were charged with public demonstration, maybe. But uh, <laughs> are you kidding? That's just standing well, there. Well, they weren't standing there. They were going to class wearing it. And, they, that's, uh, that's still nothing. But yeah, they were they were going to court saying it was an, it was against their freedom of sp- speech and you know they were found uh, not guilty. So, but back to your point, Ben, like that just shows you how countrywide this issue was, man. Like, like this wasn't happening in big cities. Like our fucking Roosevelt High School is thirty minutes from where we went to high school. You know, like yeah. Like it, it still affected us, and that's why that's why I asked the question too. Is not because we're like you know fourteen year old kids and we're not thirty year old adults, but we're college kids who were a huge part of these protests. Like college kids were the ones organizing and scheduling and going to all these because like we're in a rebellious phase. We're kind of learning for ourselves. We're getting all this new information from new sources. So like they're they're the ones who have the most to lose from this. College from kids, college kids be like from fine. Vietnam. Are you kidding? <laughs> college kids be like fine. I'll do it myself. <laughs> so that, that that's why I asked the question is because we're already we're in the right demographic that like we're protesting this. So I was just very curious. But yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so do you guys want to get into any any negatives? I had very nitpicky ones. I've already touched on a couple of them. Do you want me to go first, or do you guys have some? Go first. I don't remember yours. Uh, so mine was number one. I didn't care for Eddie. I thought uh Tom uh, Highland was a dork. Uh, and then uh, too many names. Uh, two nitpicky ones were the opening scene, Jake. I know you said you really liked it. I thought the music was too loud. I had trouble hearing the dialogue. I don't know. I turned my TV up after that scene and I heard it, the dialogue a little better. So it could have been just my TV was too low, but I thought the music was a little too loud. And then the last one was I thought Sasha Baron Cohen's accent was inconsistent. So that was something I talked about before I even saw this movie, uh, just with a few of my buddies after we watched Borat and just that like his American accent is not good. And he tries really hard, but it's just. It's his not British good. accent. I could because he's British. I thought I could hear his British accent. He's not British. He's from Kazakhstan. Borat? I'm no, pretty no, sure. Sasha Baron Cohen's British. Yeah, he's from he's from London. Oh, never mind. You're, no, I don't know. Uh, no, Is Borat's from Kazakhstan or whatever, which okay. I'm pretty sure is a fake country. No, Kazakhstan. It's real. It's real? Okay. I was about to go yeah. on a mission trip there. I always thought he was actually from Kazakhstan. Never no, mind. Borat, his character is. He's, well, from England. Is. he's from England. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that, like, his lineage was from Kazakhstan, though. Yeah, I... Wait, I he's clearly not, like, white English. He's clearly <laughs> somewhere, you know. I, I don't know what ethnicity his parents are, but... Also, he's married to Isla Fisher, so he's the luckiest man on Earth. Dude, what? Yeah, he's married to... They've been married for 10 years. Isn't he, like... Is he older than her? He's 50. She's... Uh, I think she's in her 40s. So, I'll get into... Uh, There's only a five-year difference. That is so weird. I'll get into one my, my one negative. Uh, I think I would have liked it to be even worse. Like I think I would have liked if they portrayed it as bad as it actually was. His accent. Oh, okay, okay. Just okay, so, so more realistic. Well, what did what did your professor tell you that like how bad it was or how bad it originally was? Well, I just kind of went up to him in class. And asked if, hey, have you seen this movie? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's incredible. And then we just got to talking about it. And I'm like, man, that judge just like, it's crazy because we've been talking about kind of like the judicial system. And I'm like, it's crazy how like how he was acting then is still even around now. And he's like, and what's even crazier about the movie is like they didn't even make him out to be as psychotic as he was in the case. And that was really about it. He didn't expand on it anymore. Was he alive? I want to do my research and see what else. Was your professor alive during the trial? Uh, he would have been in college, I believe. So he probably was paying a close attention to it. Yeah. Okay. And he said that the he loved the movie. But, uh, um, yeah, so I would have liked it to be a little more realistic, as harsh as it would have been. And I understand why they didn't, because I think they were going for more of an uplifting kind of like, yeah, let's fight social injustice and let's fight uh, and raise up against the corruption of our our system and our courts. Um, but I would have liked not even you don't even have to make uh, Bobby Seale be bound and gagged for four days of the of the court case. But maybe if you like after he's in that you cut to like the meeting and he comes back and he still liked that yeah. just to maybe enhance like and show how brutal it actually was. But yeah, yeah. I, that's my only negative. I don't really think I have anything else. Uh, ben? Basically just what I said earlier. I 
I mean, you disagreed with me, obviously, on that, Jake. And I don't know. I guess I wasn't educated enough on the case itself. And I will be looking forward to honestly rewatching this as soon as we're done with this pod and uh, looking up that uh, the case and that um, that judge to see if what else he had actually done. But personally, during the film, it seemed sort of like talking against a brick wall. And that might just be me projecting my frustration with that the characters are feeling against the judge mm-hmm. onto his character and the writing that they did for him. But honestly, that's like as nitpicky as I get, because honestly, I can't think of any negatives for this. Uh, yeah, I was with you. I was very frustrated during this whole film. Yeah. So right. uh, I didn't even get to like touch on all my positives. So I'm just going to like briefly. Yeah, we go again. Yeah, go again. Speed round. Or we can talk about it. I was just going to get to favorite scene anyway. So. No, no. I, I just have a couple like brief ones. So when they were actually showing the riots, uh, in Grant Park and at the DNC, when it would cut from the shot to the actual footage of it back in the 60s, mm-hmm. that was incredibly well done. Oh, I, uh, I, I saw an interview with uh, Sorkin about this film, and he said that he took a lot of inspiration for that from Argo with Ben Affleck. Really? They, did that. they did that with the protest scene early on in the film, and he said he loved that, so he used it. Um, it almost reminded me of the end of black Klansman, where it's it's showing all these fake protests about uh an original story but then it just like directly cuts the exact same chance the exact same things happening like in charlottesville three years ago and i thought that that was a very uh that was a very cool way of showing like hey we didn't make this up like we didn't just we didn't just over dramatize this for the theatrical purposes. This is what actually happened. And that, that to me was unsettling, but also brilliant. Oh um, yeah. Quick thing. I noticed it's a little nitpick again, but during the, the scenes you said where they're going back to the actual footage uh, a couple times, it was a, it was literally up there for a blip, but a couple times you could tell that they didn't have footage and they recorded their own and just colored it black and white. Yeah. Just Cause the camera quality looked way more high quality, you know? So, so oh, yeah. And then I've got one more. Positive. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I didn't take away from anything, but go ahead. Fun fact. I've got, I've got one more positive, and it was uh, when Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character went up to the judge. And this could almost be involved kind of in our favorite scene. Screw it. Okay, let's get in our favorite scenes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when, I believe this is right after Bobby Seals bound and gag. And he calls no, for a mistrial. Yeah, and he asks when, for a mistrial. Yeah, when Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes up to ask for a mistrial, and he's arguing like, "You seriously can't do this." And then, um, William Kuntz also comes up, and then the other, the other lawyer that doesn't say anything the entire movie, uh, his name is. Oh yeah, he was like, uh, "You're you're the first person to ever uh, the, call yeah. me a racist." The Why line, is the line is, um, "Then let the record know that I'm the second. And yeah. that chills up my spine. Like, that was my favorite part of the entire movie. It was <laughs> so well done. I think that was that guy's only line. No, he talked oh, a lot. He talked a couple of Did times, he? but it yeah. was sparse. Yeah. It, that, yeah, that's my favorite scene of the entire movie. And I don't wow. know what it was. Just the power behind that. Just the power behind that. And the fact that it didn't even lead to anything. 
mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't lead to the judge like okay maybe I am wrong like, it, but it made him take like a step back like you could see his like face you know he was yeah like, Whoa. yeah yeah that that <laughs> line was very powerful and I think there's probably like three or four different lines in this movie that just kind of like sent chills down your body because it was just so so well done and I think that it was it this movie didn't have the moment like a few good men the you can't handle the truth like it's not gonna have that iconic line Yo, walking away from I, it i looked it up and that a few good men was actually written by sorkin too yeah i, I oh. said that earlier i didn't even know that until now yeah so that i think that's that's kind of what makes this also more fascinating was just because sorkin's kind of written a movie like this just uh, about a different war you need to have a Jack Nicholson button on there, Jake. There's Johnny. <laughs> no, I meant like from Eric Andre, but yeah. Oh, it's about taking care of business, man. Have you guys ever seen Few Good Men? Yeah. Yes. It's Dude, good. Rob Reiner directed it. Holy cow. I didn't know that. Who's that? What's he do? Rob Reiner? Here, I'll show you yeah. a picture. Right. Showing me a picture is going to help? This guy. Oh, yeah. Just kidding. Okay. I don't know this. All right, uh, Ben, what's your favorite scene? Uh, my favorite scene is the original story where they're recounting uh, their march to go free Tom from jail. But oh, then yeah. they see that the police are out in front. So you can tell, like, I thought they were going to clash with the police there, but they didn't. And mm-hmm. they turned them around. And then the police are all gathered on the hill. And they j- basically just blocked them in. So, like, of course, like, what was going to happen? And the antis- not the anticipation, the tension that was building throughout that entire scene, although they, the climax was the uh, second riot, per mm-hmm. se, they had uh, later that night. But just the recounting and all the different parts, like, when you realize that <laughs> Jerry's 93-hour girlfriend <laughs> uh, is actually undercover... <laughs> And, like, <laughs> everything she says has a double meaning now. It's just things like that. That, like, I really enjoyed that scene. Like, that was my Her favorite. character seemed like she genuinely, like, was trying to help him, though. Well, yeah. she did in, like, the moment, yeah. Like, she, like, I know, but, like, yeah, she was undercover, but she seemed, like, almost on their side in a way. Maybe she was just really good at her job, but. Well, I mean, just... she did still, uh, what is it? A test? No. That, uh,. That brings me back to not not my favorite, scene, but, but one of the most lighthearted scenes in the movie when Jerry and Abby are just like outside on the bench and uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character comes up with his daughter and he's like, you just had to bring the girl into it. <laughs> Do you guys even have sexual relations? We were taking it slow. <laughs> like, how long do you know her? 93 hours. <laughs> he's walking away. He's like, does she still talk about me sometimes? Like, I don't know, man. I'm glad that that very easily could have been a scene that was cut from the movie, but I'm glad they didn't because that was like, like, it was needed for like the lightheart, lightheartedness. It's like one egg is like on fall or something like that. It was like, they teach her that at the academy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one one it's really really sad actually but it's kind of funny just based off his character jerry rubin died i don't know if you guys got this he was hit by a bus when he was jaywalking (laughs) 
It's sad, but that's all. He died, but like that's such an just that that's his character, man. That that's so Jerry. Uh, another. I can't, uh, I can't state how much I love that egg bit. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's um, like force of habit. <laughs> like, you then, don't know what to do with the egg, do you? Why don't you get rid of it? It's like you don't think I want to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> I I um, loved his character mostly because I'm a fan of Jeremy Strong because uh, he's in Succession, he's in The Big Short, he was also in The Gentleman recently. I don't know if you guys saw that, but especially from Succession, looked- I'm a fan of Jeremy Strong. Oh, isn't he the main guy in Succession? Yeah, he is. Nice. That's a good um, show if you guys watch. You guys should watch it over break, honestly. Also, I, I've been meaning to. I've heard it's good. Uh, also, at the at the end when it said Abby Hoffman killed himself, that made me really sad. I really like that's uh it's really unfortunate. But uh, so anyway, why hurt not? My my it's not hilarious. My favorite scene is when um is it that's Tom Highland, right? Yeah. Yeah. When um, when Dork. When Dork, when Dork Tom boy, Hayden. Tom Hayden, <laughs> they were, when he was like getting ready to, he's like, yeah, I'm going to witness stand. And then, uh, Kunstler comes in with the tape of him, like starting the riot, the whole scene where he's like, all right, sit me down. I'll tell you, like, I'm going to question you and t- I'll the tell you exactly what my answers are. Yeah. The back and forth and just the music when the music builds up and oh my God, man, that was like, my heart was beating. I was like, yeah. Cause this- he was like, he was like actually like pleading for him to stop. He was like, yeah. Yeah. he was like. Like, Kunstler, Kunstler's like, I'm not Kunstler, I'm the judge, what did you say? Yeah, and he's like, uh, yeah, and he was like, like, Tom like Tom Hayden was like, like, at the beginning, he was so calm, cool, and collected, and you could tell at the end, he's like, coming to this realization, he's like, oh, shit, like, I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm fucked, like, I can't come out of this, like, there's no way I can get out of this, and he's like, he's like, just, it's just such a good scene, and like, the... I think Ben said you it was a climax of the movie and probably, but just the tension that was built in that and just the realization coming across his face as the scene continues where he's like, I'm not, I can't take the witness stand. Like it was just, it was so intense and I just loved every second of it. And then going back to the riots, it was like going back and forth of them clashing yeah. and then where they're pinned up against like that, that like bar, yes. like really yeah. bar. And then they like shoves them in. Like that was like, whew. and then at they're the like, end, and they're seen as like assaulting almost. And then at the end, when the cop comes by and he's like, "Put your hands behind your back," and he's got like blood coming down his face, and he's just got a dead look on his face, like he knows what just happened, and he, like he's he's fucked essentially. And it was just a perfect. But I like the part in the mo- in the when he's recounting what happened, what started the la- initial the big riot when uh, Renee got wha- when Renee Davis got whacked upside the head, cracked a skull open, and he's and then. Tom Highland grabs the mic and starts screaming into it, and he's like, uh, what, is that? What, "What does he say? It's like if they want to take our blood, if he wants to like, if it's gonna be our blood, then we're gonna like cover the city in it or something. City. Yeah, we're gonna cover the city yeah. in our blood. Yeah, like when he like screams out in the mic, I was like, whew. it was just, it was insane. It was, it was. <laughs> oh, another nitpick. Uh, the blood effect that they did on Rennie was Horny. really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the tweet, fellas. So, we just reviewed a movie for an hour. We like we, we don't need any other segments this episode. We, I mean, we really don't. There's a lot. I really, really love. This I movie. I Mostly could because we didn't think of one. Yeah, but <laughs> it's gonna be a decent. This is gonna be longer than some of our episodes where we had like two segments. So yeah. Should we rate it? Unless do we have any other? I'll play it out. I mean, we didn't even talk about the ending. What did you think of uh, the ending of reading off all the? All the soldiers killed in Vietnam. You I thought I thought it happened, right? It did. It didn't. Okay, that figures. That makes sense. Okay. 
Yeah, but, see, this uh, is a fictionalized movie, Alex. Oh, uh, they fictionalized one part. Uh, I thought it was one. a really good, like, you're watching, and you're like, man, maybe they get out of this. And then it cuts to, like, they were all sentenced to five years in prison. And it really brings you back down to earth. Is like, this really happened, and, like, the good guys don't always win, you know, so. I mean, man. they didn't serve that full sentence. Oh, wait, no, they did. They they did, because they didn't. I was like, they, I was like. <laughs> they declared it a mistrial, and then they wouldn't retry him again. I love how, like, Michael Keaton's character immediately, as soon as he left, he was like, just start working on the appeal. Yeah. Because he knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Dude, this, the scene where Michael Keaton is almost seems like a bad guy. Like, no, I'm not going to help you. And he's like, you know what? There's nothing I'd love more than to help you. Like, that was just awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't get the, I didn't get the vibe that he didn't want to help them. It, he was it, just it, talking in loaded language and was stating how yeah. bad it would look for him if he did. Yeah, that's true. It, it wasn't like he was he didn't didn't want to help them, but the fact that like those two attorneys were there with or the two FBI agents were there with him, it just kind of felt like they were wasting their time. And I don't even know if this is from like a film like appreciation or criticism standpoint. I just I just thought that was like one of those kind of just like cheer moments of the movie. The the part at the very end when the judge calls for them to remove the, him from the witness stand and then Kunstler's still asking him questions and like and uh Clark and uh Ramsey Clark's just answering him fast. That was a that's like it's a very mini scene, but that's probably one of my favorites. Kunstler looks like he's about to cry. He just sure. keeps asking him questions, he keeps answering him. He's like, Is Nixon he's like uh what do he say? He's like, Is the government like have an agenda with this? He's like, Yes. And then it's like uh something about <laughs> that. That was Nixon. cool. I thought they were gonna keep going with that, but that I did too. That that's what I'm saying. Like I love that scene. And then they threw that whole they threw out that testimony. It that, that dude, that's what I'm saying. Like that's what makes this case so sad. Is they're just there's no way they're there's absolutely no way they were gonna win this case. And it's just because there was such a such a already set agenda by the government by the judge they weren't gonna let you know the uh the jury hear their full story and it's just it's really really sad that this actually happened you know yeah. so with that being said let's get into our rates uh ben what do you got okay mostly because of the small nitpicks and i'm trying to be a little bit more consistent with my rankings lately i'm gonna buckle and give this a nine okay I, that's mostly, a fair rating i still loved it <laughs> jake uh, so I kind of like to take Alex's stance where his top five movies get 10 out of 10s and I'm, Oh, I'm oh. oh. wait, that means who's out. Who's out. Who's your five? Uh, what was Who my, was your five? My fifth was baby driver. Okay. Yeah. I like this more than baby driver. I've, freaking love this movie and if you <laughs> I movie, like baby I, driver so much i even got the poster <laughs> <laughs> for the viewers i, I am looking at a baby so driver much. poster thank and you I, mr stone i just want to go watch it again like that's just how i feel right now it's a really it, good movie i'll probably watch it again when i'm over good insanely relevant to our times and it's still very very early in the oscar season like Three or four of the new favorites like haven't even come out yet. Like Nomad Land. Other favorites. Uh, just like the odds-on like Vegas type favorites. Yeah. But I don't know. I think this has a good chance for Best Picture just because of the sheer social impact, and it's like a it's a feel-good movie despite the very 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 dire circumstances. 
the performances in this uh, were incredible. The dialogue, the diction of the characters, it just just oh, yeah. insanely good. I, I love this movie, and if I'll anything out of ten. If there's anything to describe it, an adjective to give it, I'd say sharp. Yeah, sharp. Yeah. I think sharp or purposeful. There was not a single line of dialogue that I felt was pointless in this movie. Yeah. Um, and that's impressive. It's definitely going to get nominations. I don't. It might get Best Picture. I think it's definitely going to get Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, and that's I think it was adapted I, from something. Well, I don't or know. Like the transcript of the trial. Maybe I, it's going to get definitely get a Best Screenplay, Best Writing nomination, and then I bet Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne are probably going to get Best Supporting Actor nominations. Or at least one of them are. Um, but, uh, another point is I think this would have been a really, really strong year for movies if it wasn't for COVID. There's a lot of good movies that are supposed to come out this year. That's really unfortunate, but, uh, Dune would have swept. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> when does Dune come out next year? They yeah, it to December, December next now year. Now it's next November. Jeez. All right. Um, so I'll get into my rate. So this is going to be interesting. I had a chance at best picture though. Yeah, I know. I was joking. So my rating is going to be a little weird. So. I'm going to go with Jake. I'm going to give this a 10, but I'm not going to give it a 10 for the way I gave my top five movies a 10 because it's excellent, it's excellent writing, excellent you know visuals, excellent directing, whatever. I'm going to give this a 10 because I think just the magnitude of the case, I thought Sorkin did a great job of just writing a realistic like, – like I said, it felt like I was watching the real case. You know, I thought – just everything, the way the, the movie was written, the way it was presented, the way it was, you know, represented by the actors, the acting. I th- I'm going to give this a 10, but it's not like just because it was just this excellent film. I thought it was just they took this very, very popular, well-known case, adapted it into a way where it's going to teach a whole new generation about it. And I think that's a very important thing to do. And I thought Sorkin killed it. So I'm going to give this a 10. It's not like a, a traditional 10, but I'm going to give it a 10. Man, I... I think I'm going to end this, and I might go watch this sucker again. Dude, I got to get to bed. It's almost 1 a.m. here. I got a six and a half hour drive tomorrow. Oh, yes, sir. It's coming home, and it means Alex. I got the car. I got to pack up my Xbox, and uh, I just got to put my, like, toothbrush and stuff in my other bag, and then we'll be on the road. To the falls. Yeah. Well, uh. We want to thank you all for turning for tuning in to this week's episode of the Turbo Tune, Team Podcast. Tuning, not turning, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's turning time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not tuning time either. It's turbo. He meant to like it's turbo time. <laughs> yeah, as in the yeah. name of our podcast. Thirty-one. Yeah, I know, but he man. said it in reference to turning. Thirty-one episodes, and you don't know what our podcast is called. For me, oh. uh, I'm Jake Yippy Brend. And uh, we will see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.